When you try your best but you don't succeed When you get what you want but not what you need When you feel so tired but you can't sleep Stuck in rivers Hello? Hello everyone! My name is Kara Brown. Welcome to The Gold Standard here on KCOU 88.1 FM. Kind of coming in on a somber note. I'm not going to lie. Fix You by Coldplay. Um, this is a good song, but it it is sad. But one thing that this song always will make me think of is figure skating because it was part of the Shibutani's free skate when they won the bronze medal at the Pyeongchang Olympics. It was, of course, matched up with Paradise by Coldplay, an amazing skate. I go back to it all the time. But also, this season, Alexa Kinnearum and Brandon Fraser skated to Fix You, and I would always forget that this was their program and I'd get so excited because I was like, yes, like Kinnearum and Frazier and they were doing so good this season. And then I would just hear Fix You and I was like, oh, I'm crying. Um, no, I well, <laughs> I was gonna say, I never cried when they skated. I, I, may, I may have happy cried a little bit when they won the gold at world but that was warranted because it had been four decades so i would say it was warranted if any tears were shed by me which i cannot confirm or deny but yeah that was a little bit of a tangent but sometimes i pick my music here for a reason sometimes it's for fun but very excited to be back today um yeah what did we talk about oh what am I how did I forget last week of course we talked about world figure skating that was really fun for me I was late to class um I was I got so into my content last week that I was like oh I'm for sure not making it to my class today but Today is going to be a little different as far as show content. If you think back with me a couple of weeks, sometime into last month, I believe, I did a deep dive into a Terry Tuberitze and the girls that she has coached and kind of um, just like her career, but through the career of the girls that she has coached. She's a coach, so I mean, that is her career. But this show is going to be more similar to that kind of vibe than my other shows this semester, which have been going through and talking about different uh, Olympic sports and kind of just like getting caught up and sharing results and giving predictions. Although we 
most likely will have some of that. I have some of that planned at the bottom of the show. So if we get there, I did kind of say to myself that like, if I didn't get to that stuff at the end, it was okay because this deep dive that I want to do today is the most important part of the show for today, if I'm being quite honest. So let's let's honestly just jump into it. So I would like to start off with a fun fact about me. <laughs> um, I am minoring in Spanish. So my main degree is, of course, journalism, but I also continue to take Spanish classes because I'm minoring. So this semester, I am taking a Spanish culture class, and it's just like Spain. Like, it is the cultures of Spain. And during that class, the 1992 Barcelona Olympics were briefly mentioned. Like, there was a sentence in the book that mentioned the Barcelona Olympics, and then my professor talked just a little bit more about them and um, it was in a part of the book for the class that was talking about uh, the modern modernization of Spain after the Francisco Franco regime and kind of the entrance of Spain onto the world stage in like the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And this, of course caught my attention because it was like the first time we were really talking about sports in the class, which, you know, I host a sports show. To me, sports are always a big part of culture. But during that, I was kind of thinking and I just realized that I, and I knew this, but it really kind of hit home for me. I have like a particular interest in how sports and culture and kind of what's going on in the world impact each other and you can often see in sports whatever's going on at the time is reflected in the sporting world and I think it's so interesting to kind of examine that and no okay hold on (laughs) I could feel myself about to go on a really long tangent so I'm gonna pull it back actually because that's not the most important part of this anyways I'm very interested in that I might talk more on that some other time, but we do not have the time for me to go on long tangents today, sadly. I know. But recently, this has been seen with how the sports world has reacted to the invasion and subsequent war in Ukraine. And, you know, there was a big effect on the sports world. We've talked about it multiple times on this show Um, I know I retweeted an article that one of my friends wrote about how it was affecting the soccer world. It's just, it has been very prominent in sports as of late. So, after we very briefly talked about this in my class, I wanted to take a closer look at the 1992 Barcelona Olympics and what they meant for Spain. So, to just give you like a... I don't know, a thesis statement, a guiding statement, something to tell you exactly what this deep dive is. Today we are going to be focusing on 
the impact the Olympics had on Spain and several different aspects. Um, and then also to do that, I believe we have to go back first to get some context because, you know, you definitely could know all of this already and that's fine. It'll just be a refresher, but I've, I've taken many Spanish and history classes and I really didn't think that I knew the extent of what was happening in Spain during like mid 1930s to mid 1970s. So to properly explain the impact of these games, let's go back to the mid 1930s to start with some context. And let's, where we are going to begin is with La Guerra Civil, the Civil War. So the Spanish Civil War happened between 1936 and 1939. Um, the government of Spain in 1936 was known as La Segunda Republica or the Second Republic. In February of 1936, El Frente Popular, a coalition of leftist parties, won the elections. Following this, a group of generals began to conspire to control the power, and in July of 1936, they started a coup to overthrow the government. <clears throat> Among the generals was a man by the name of Francisco Franco. The generals thought this would be a quick battle, but it turned into a three-year-long civil war. Finally, on April 1st, 1939, Franco declared that the war was over and this began his dictatorship. The dictatorship of Franco lasted over three decades and it was a very dark time in Spain. Franco became the supreme boss of the country and eliminated the parliamentary system and universal suffrage. The 1940s in Spain were known as the years of hunger. The devastation from the war and international isolation led to a food shortage and overall poverty in the country. Spain, like other European countries, was recovering from the Second World War at the end, you know, or during the 1940s. But as a fascist country, it was left out of the Marshall Plan and also during the 1940s, Spain was denied entrance to the UN. During the 1950s, Spain became a strategic piece in the fight against communism. Because of this, countries like the United States started to have more of a relationship with Spain. President Eisenhower offered Spain economic and military assistance in return for military bases. And also, Spain was allowed entrance to the United Nations in 1955. The 1960s saw a better time for the economy in Spain, but nothing got better politically. During the 1960s, there was a large boom in tourism to Spain, and many Spanish citizens migrated to other countries to work, and they would send back money to their families in Spain. Also, during the 1960s, opposition parties to Franco started forming, but they had to work in secret because it was still dangerous to speak out against the Franco regime. Now, um... I didn't know a lot about Francisco Franco or his dictatorship prior to the class that I am currently in, but 
I mean, this is something I would recommend if you don't know a lot about it, you should research it. It's as some of the things that I'm learning in my Spanish classes right now. I mean, it's just crazy to like think about what was going on during these times. They're not that long ago. They're less than a hundred years ago. And what was happening to the people in Spain was horrible. And now, um, I just watched a documentary for my class and it's not really talked about in Spain now. And a lot of people in Spain, according to this documentary, at least don't know much about the Franco regime. And there is a law in Spain called the amnesty law and it's a forgetting law. So the people that were part of the Franco regime were just like allowed back into society. A lot of them continued in politics and um, people who lived during the Franco regime, just like the citizens, the victims who were affected by it, you know, they're not super happy with that. As far as this documentary says, the documentary is on Netflix. If you would ever be interested in watching it, it's called The Silence of Others. I found it pretty interesting. I also like learning about history. So if that's not your thing, the documentary might not be your thing, but I still think it's worth a watch. But continuing on with our little timeline here, Francisco Franco died in 1975, and after his death, Spain became a parliamentary monarchy or a constitutional monarchy, if you will, and by 1992, Spain was making its way onto the world stage. It had become a member of the EU and NATO, and in 1992, it hosted the World Exposition. Madrid was chosen as the European capital of culture, and Barcelona was set to host the Summer Olympics. All right, now you have you have some context. You're all caught up. You know what was happening in Spain years prior to the Olympics. You know that Spain had been isolated. Then their dictator died, went to a constitutional monarchy, and now they're making their way onto the world stage. With that, I'm going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to jump right into talking more specifically about the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. So keep it here. Everyone has their favorite bench player. Well, yours can be too. Starting Left Bench is a sports variety talk show with your two new favorite bench warmers. Join Justin Bear and Peyton Heverman as they discuss almost anything and everything in the sports world and some things outside of it. Join us on the bench Mondays at 3 p.m. on KCOU 88.1 FM to hear some goofiness and talk that you would hear from your favorite bench warmers. Starting Left Bench for those not good enough to go pro. We're excited for you to join us on the bench and we'll see you there. What does your smile say about you? Are you happy? Confident? Friendly? Getting and keeping that smile takes work. Proper brushing and flossing daily and drinking fluoridated water. 
Fluoridated water has been in use for 75 years and is considered the most safe, equitable, and cost-effective way to prevent tooth decay. A healthy smile means a healthy person and a healthy community. For more information, visit health.mo.gov. A message from the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. Artu, where are you? Artu? Artu? Artu, you're on fire! Artu, Dito, you found a cigarette! Well, I don't think smoking is grown up at all. Because it's very dangerous. Smoking does dreadful things to your lungs and is very bad for your heart. Well, I know I don't have one, but humans do, and I think we should set a good example. Well done, Artu. Oh, hello. You know smoking is bad for your health, and it isn't grown up at all. So please, don't smoke. Artu, do you really think I don't have a heart? Alrighty, welcome back to the Gold Standard on KCOU 88.1 FM. My name is Kara Brown. I'm the host of the Gold Standard. Before our little break, we were talking about what was going on in Spain leading up to the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. And now... Just as promised, we are going to jump right into talking about those Olympics. So, Spain had a lot to gain from these Olympics. They both represented the fact that Spain was no longer an isolated country and also helped to push Spain further onto the world stage. And there were also plenty of economic benefits to be had for Spain from these Olympics. But first, Barcelona needed to be done up a little bit. So, Spain dropped around $15 billion in today's dollars, which that was 400% over budget. But if there's one thing we learned a couple weeks ago when I talked about why no one wants to host the Olympics anymore, the Olympics, they always go over budget. It's not... It's just typical. So not surprised that they went over budget, but 400% over budget. The money was used to build new roads, new sewage systems, and new green areas and beaches. Yes, before these Olympics, Barcelona didn't really have a beach. The city created two miles of beachfront and a modern marina by demolishing industrial buildings on the waterfront before the Games. The aim of these games, according to some of its promoters, was to modernize the city after the almost 40 years of Franco's dictatorship. 
the city was able to do a lot of infrastructure work and use the Olympics as a reason to speed this process along. So the city had to be redone. There were there was the new infrastructure, and the layout of the city looked different um, after the end of this kind of remodeling, with old industrial buildings knocked down to make way for the Olympic Village and new stretches of beach. But let's talk about the other side of what the Barcelona Olympics did for Spain, the sporting side. According to El País, there was a reason for Spaniards to be nervous about hosting this Olympics. Spain hosted the World Cup in 1982, where both the national team and event organizers were overwhelmed by the competition. The event was marked by pessimistic media coverage. And when it came to Olympic medals, Spanish athletes had earned just 16 summer medals since 1900, which would put us at, no, this should be the easiest math ever, 88 years. <laughs> it was 88 years, 16 summer medals. So, while urban infrastructure was getting a facelift, Spanish sport also got some financial help with the ADO plan. The ADO plan was an initiative to help aid elite athletes as they focused on their training. In addition to that, some argue that the continued athletic success of Spain can be traced back to these Olympics. The focus on sports and finances that were put into athletics and training facilities has given rise to more Spanish success in athletics. Juan Jose Pardinas, a Spanish sports writer, says the Barcelona Olympics unleashed a torrent of money from both the government and private sources to build sports facilities all over the country and support sports which had not previously had support in Spain. By the end of the decade, we saw the results. Now, Spanish sports make real money. Real Madrid may be the most profitable football club in the world. But even during these 1992 Olympics, results were expected as sponsors were putting in money to help with the athletes' training. And results were exactly what those sponsors got. Spain... Spain only earned four medals at the 1988 Seoul Olympics. During the Barcelona Games, Spain earned a total of 22 medals, 13 golds, seven silvers, and two bronzes. And soccer, of course, was the talk of the town, with Spain earning the gold medal by defeating Poland. And they did this kind of it was kind of a good game <laughs> that gold medal game um to avoid extra time spain had to rally from a 1-0 deficit in the second half to defeat poland poland at new camp stadium francisco cuico Nar oh my goodness Nar narvez scored 25 seconds into stoppage time chipping a loose ball over goalkeeper alexander clock so it like it came down right to stoppage time to keep it from going into penalties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but like Pardinia said, the effects of this Olympics can still be felt in Spanish sports, which now boasts world class class athletes 
in soccer, basketball, cycling, tennis, and more. But let's go more into those effects that are still felt today from these Olympics. So, Ferran Brunet of the Universitat Autonoma de Barcelona says the investment into the Olympics was worth it. Also, just a quick side note. I, when I was doing the research for this and this university in Barcelona came up, I remembered Catalan, which is the language that is spoken in Catalan. <laughs> um, the like part of Spain that Barcelona is in because I was looking at this university name and I was like is that misspelled because it's like very close to how it would be said in Spanish but like in Universidad instead of D-A-D it's T-A-T so it's like tat so yeah I for- like I don't forget that there's a bunch of languages in Spain because we talk about it in my classes but it just kind of threw me off for a second because I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, I I guess I don't know Catalan because I have not learned it. And it's different from like, I don't want to say regular Spanish, but Castellano, which is the Spanish that I have learned. Um, so the, yeah, Brene says it's worth it. The Olympic infrastructure created for the Games is thought to have provided over 20,000 permanent jobs for Barcelona. Unemployment in the city dropped dramatically from an all-time high of 127,774 in November of 1986 to a low of 60,885 in July of 1992. Um... Tourism also got a big boost. The games seemed to change the way people thought of Barcelona. Between 1990 and 2001, the country went from being the 11th best city in Europe to the 6th, according to one ranking. And the IOC says that 20 years after the games, Barcelona is now the 12th most popular destination for tourists in the world and 5th in Europe. The games led to the establishment of Turisme de Barcelona, the organization responsible for promoting tourism in the city, and a strategic tourism and action plan was created in 1992, aiming to keep the momentum created by hosting the Olympic Games. After the Games, tourism in Barcelona continued to grow, kind of as I've already said, but here's some more figures. Barcelona welcomed 100.7 million Visitors, I left out millions, so in my outline it just says that Barcelona welcomed 1.7 visitors. It's 1.7 million in 1992, and then they welcomed 7.4 million in 2011 and 8.3 million in 2015. And when I was doing my research, I was like, that doesn't exactly mean that the Olympics was the reason but actually olympics.com addressed that so they said while multitude of factors were involved such as low cost flights serving barcelona it is widely accepted that the olympics played a part in the tourism growth and then the development of sport like we discussed earlier 
this Olympics played a big role in helping Spain train world-class athletes. Um, for Spain, the popular sport today is, of course, soccer. The rival clubs Real Madrid and Barcelona are the richest and most successful. The national team, of course, won that gold medal at the Olympics in Barcelona, but they also won the Euros in 2008 and 2012, as well as the World Cup in 2010. <clears throat> and then in other sports, Spain has also seen international success with athletes in golf like Cerveriano Ballesteros and Sergio Garcia, and then in cycling, Miguel Indurian and Alberto Contador, in Formula One, Fernando Alonso, and then, of course, in tennis, Rafael Nadal, who is very popular internationally for sport. And then I would like to add my own that wasn't mentioned in my Spanish book, Javier Fernandez, who won the bronze medal at the 2018 Pyeongchang Olympics, which I I remember that a lot because he skated to a song from uh, Mande La Mancha, which is like Don Quixote, and I just watched that in my Spanish class, and I was like, oh my gosh, I know this song. So it made me laugh, and then I sent a video of him skating to a bunch of my friends who were also in that class. But these successes in athletics have really helped the image of Spain. So, what have we learned? <laughs> um, yeah, this was just really interesting to me as we talked about it a little bit in my class. Just like how... Barcelona became a lot more popular internationally after the Olympics. My professor said that like Barcelona became a setting like a setting for movies and art and stuff that it really hadn't been before. The amount of infrastructure that was just like put in place or updated for the Olympics is crazy and it was something that I read it like needed to be done but they did so much of it in such a little time and they were able to like use the Olympics as kind of an excuse to get so much done so I mean it just like completely changed the city itself but then also made it's just, it had such a big impact on Spain with tourism and sports. So that I just found all very interesting. And especially when you look at now kind of how the Olympics are perceived as not being that good for cities. I mean, that was 1992. It, it's not super long ago. But since then, it just seems like... Olympic villages or kind of ghost towns and places that host the Olympics don't see such a big gain in tourism. But one of the articles that I was reading to do research for today's show was comparing or it was talking about how 
the Barcelona Olympics helped the city in sport and tourism and, you know, the stuff I talked about today. But it was from someone who was, like, talking about the London Olympics and trying to be like, well, you know, we don't, we haven't seen the effects from the London Olympics yet, but if it's anything like what happened in Barcelona, you know, people in England are going to be super happy with the effects of the Olympics. But I think there's kind of a, well, not kind of, there's a big difference between London hosting the Olympics in 2012 and Barcelona hosting in 1992. And it is where Spain was coming from because, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to lie, I haven't done a ton of research on the effects of the London Olympics after they were over, but London was already, you know, a big city. It already had tourism. It was already well-known, and I feel like it. London was already kind of in a place that was a lot better than where Barcelona was when they were chosen to host the Olympics. So they didn't have as much to gain as Barcelona did. And it's interesting. I do think when I was reading, I also read that like it would be better to compare kind of Barcelona to maybe the Olympics that were held in Rio. Um, Although, again, I don't want to speak too much on it because I didn't do a ton of research into that. But... That would make more sense to me. I don't know. It's so interesting just like because of where Spain was coming from, coming out of the dictatorship where it would it had been so isolated and the economy was so bad for a while and just how much change was already happening in Spain, but then for something like the Olympics to kind of push it further. I don't know. I just find it all really interesting. And I think it's something to think about because we talked about it a couple weeks ago when we were talking about how no one wants to host the Olympics anymore, but it is like a massive process. It is super costly. And so seeing return on investment like Barcelona has you know that's exactly what the IOC wants and kind of what they're hoping for every Olympics because that promotes their organization. It makes people want to host the Olympics. And so if I'm the IOC, I'm pushing the narrative of what happened at the Barcelona Olympics forever until the figures aren't supporting me anymore. I'm like, well, look look at the Barcelona Olympics. Look at how Barcelona is now. And there's also a chance that Barcelona hosts again they ooh, are part of the bid for, oh, I am drawing a blank, but, oh, I think it's 2030 because I think they were one of the cities that were, um, kind of was in competition with the Japanese city that we were talking about. But yeah, so if I'm the IOC, I'm like, look, look at this like case study, but it is such a different experience and also now with the amount of kind of globalization that has happened since 1992 where 
I feel like people are definitely more in tune with the world and kind of what's happening in other places, but also just kind of where things are. I feel, I just don't know if there's ever going to be something, a case study quite like this Barcelona Olympics again. And that is very interesting to me. Although, never mind. I'm not going to get into that either. (laughs) I was going to talk a little bit about the World Cup, but I'm not going to because I, like I said, I haven't researched it. I don't want to go into things that I didn't really research because I did so much research for this, like, outline and talking about Barcelona. So, that's kind of my conclusion. That's kind of where I was, what I was thinking after I finished my research. And yeah, I would like to give a special thanks to Olympics.com, El País, Business Insider, and my Spanish textbook, Cultura de España, because that is where I got most, if not all, of this information. So yeah, like I said, a lot of research, but this topic was very interesting to me. It really caught my eye when we were talking about it in class. So with that, I'm going to take another quick break and get excited because we actually do have time. When we come back, we'll be talking about a big retirement announcement in figure skating and also more soccer. So keep it here. Look at me, busy as a bee. Where'd I get all this energy? Oh, man. Mm-hmm. I don't sleep and I don't eat, but I've got the cleanest house on the street. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Get these hairs all out of my face. Get these bugs all out of my place. One more hit. No time to waste. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How was your day? Fine. Did you learn anything new? No. Anything I should know? No. Is everything okay? Yeah. Sometimes it can be hard to connect with teens. Use Connect With Me activity cards to deepen your conversations. Visit health.mo.gov connect to access these free cards and other resources. A message from the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. Texting while driving is more than distracting. It's dangerous. Do yourself a favor. Do us all a favor. When you're on the road, stay off the phone. A message from CTIA, America's Wireless Companies, and the National Safety Council. Lovely cushion header. Stay in touch with all the latest soccer news and highlights from the game's premier competitions. Join me, Jack Knowlton, for Box to Box, where I'll break down everything from scores to transfers to player and club profiles and much, much more. Everything you need to know about the beautiful game can be found on Box to Box, Wednesdays at 11 a.m. on KCOU. That's astonishing! It's absolutely world-class! Up the rice in the church where a wedding has been. 
All righty. Welcome back to the Gold Standard on KCOU 88.1 FM. During break, I was trying to decide if I wanted to talk about soccer figure skating first. I think I'm going to I'm going to lead with soccer because we're we just came off of a promo for my friend's soccer show, Box to Box. And so I feel like it's only right to talk about soccer first. So let's talk about one game that happened in the Premier League that I had a vested interest in. So this year, (laughs) I decided that I was going to pick a Premier League team to root for. And I decided I thought it'd be funny to bandwagon Manchester City. So I'm a Man City fan. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry if you're a hater and you don't like that. But Man City had a massive match over the weekend on Sunday morning against Liverpool. And going into the game... City was up by one point in the Premier League table, meaning Liverpool would jump City with a win and City would keep that first spot um, by one point if it was a draw and would lead by four, I believe, with a win. So, Jack Dalton, who hosts Box to Box, is a Liverpool fan. So I watched this game with him and he was stressed. I was not because I'm I'm a new city fan, so I wasn't I wasn't super stressed. I also had faith in my team, but I predicted that this game would end in a 1-1 draw. And things they started off hot with Kevin De Bruyne. I okay for some transparency. I looked up how to say these players' names before the show. So if I mess them up, I'm so sorry because I I tried so hard to pronounce these correctly. So De Bruyne, I think, is how his last name is said. But he scored a goal in the fifth minute, putting City up 1-0. I was very excited. It was a quick Score! I was like, yes, go City. Um, And then Liverpool responded in the 13th minute with a goal of their own. So it was tied up 1-1. City regained the lead in the 37th minute with a goal from Gabriel Jesus. And then, then it went into half. City was up. And coming out of the half, Sadio Mane scored in the 46th minute for Liverpool. Game was tied at two. Later in the game, Man City scored. But then they got called for an offside. So it didn't count. And <laughs> I was I was upset. And then at the end of the game, City had another really good opportunity to score. And I I was like, yes, this is their moment. They're going to do it. They didn't. So that game ended in a 2-2 draw, which I called it ending in a draw. But I didn't call 2-2. I felt like, well, definitely in the first half, because then like, and then the 
minute, the first minute of the second half, or I guess first two minutes, I felt like there was a lot of scoring. I, you know, soccer, there's not a ton of scoring, but I was like, oh my gosh, I, just, I felt like there was so much scoring. It was keeping me entertained. Um, not that, not that I don't think soccer is not entertaining. Anyways, um, yeah, so the game ended 2-2 draw. And right now, City and Liverpool, they sit at the top of the Premier League, um, still one point separating them. And I wasn't super nervous about City not finishing first for the longest time. And now I'm really starting, I'm starting to feel the pressure. I, I'm worried for them. But we'll see. Um, so actually, City and Liverpool play again on Saturday for the FA Cup. And yeah. And then here's me trying to justify why I talked about this game, other than the fact that I just wanted to. And I I listened to Box to Box, and last week I didn't feel like this game got the attention that it deserved. And also I know this week on Box to Box there's going to be a Serie A recap. And so I, I was like, I don't feel like this game's going to get talked about enough or what I think's enough. So I was like, I'm going to talk about it. But soccer, it's an Olympic sport. So I talked about it earlier. So I will, I'll not take any crap for talking about this game on my show, even though I could not do it the justice that Jack Knowlton could bring to talking about this game. But I tried my best. And as someone who's just getting to the Premier League, I think I probably did okay. So now let's uh, turn and talk about something quickly that I actually, I know about. And that is figure skating. So over, I think it was over the weekend. I want to say it was Saturday. I was in my car and I get an ESPN notification. And the notification says that... Alyssa Liu is retiring from figure skating. And I was like, no, no, she's not. There's no way that's actually happening. But yeah, so it actually happened. Alyssa Liu at the ripe age of 16 decided to retire from figure skating. And I really want to read to you her retirement announcement because it made me laugh so hard. It sounds like a 16-year-old writing a retirement post that she posted to Instagram. Because that's what it is. You can tell she you could tell that she wrote this. So here's what it says. Hey, so I'm here to announce that I am retiring from skating. I started skating when I was five, so that's about eleven years on ice. And it's been an insane eleven years. A lot of good and a lot of bad, but you know that's just how it is. I've made so many friends and so, so, so many good memories that I'll have for the rest of my life. I honestly never thought I would have accomplished as much as I did, LMAO. I'm so happy. I feel so satisfied with how my skating career has gone. Now that I'm finally done with my goals in skating, I'm going to be moving on with my life. Right now, I'm probably just going to spend all my spare time with my family and friends. And I'm also going to study, you know what I mean? But for real... This skating thing has taught me a lot more about life than I anticipated. I'm really glad I skated. 
I love that for her. Honestly, I hate it for me because I'm pretty sure I sat on this show last week and said, you know, Alyssa Liu with that bronze and at Worlds, she's the future of U.S. women's figure skating. So excited to see where she goes. I know I said I was excited to see what she does next season. And then she said, you know what? No, I've, I've done everything I need to do. And more power to her. She's had a very successful career. But this this was her first season on, <laughs> on the senior circuit. She skated on the senior circuit for one season. And she retired because she accomplished all of her goals. And if that's not like a butterfly effect moment, because... I wonder if she hadn't earned that bronze medal at Worlds, if she would have retired. And if the Russians would have skated, she would not have won the bronze. I don't know. Maybe making a world team would have been enough for her. But, I mean, she is she's a two-time U.S. champion. She's an Olympian. And now she's a world medalist. So, respect. Like... She, those are some massive goals to have achieved. She's kind of right. She's done. She's had an amazing career in what, like one year on the senior circuit. So, you know, if you want to talk about skaters retiring young, yeah, maybe, maybe she'll pull a Tom Brady and announce later that she's not retiring. But if that's Alyssa Liu, Vincent Joe, and Hubble and Donahue all gone after this season, which it's looking like it is, <sighs> we are ushering in <clears throat> a new era in U.S. figure skating. And I'm very interested to see it. Um, one thing I wanted to throw out real quick, because I'm going to look it up after the show, and I'll probably end up talking about this quite a bit next week but world junior championships are coming up and I saw a post about it this morning right before the show and Ilya Malinin was in the post and so I'm really confused on whether he's allowed to I think he can I think he might also be skating at junior world championships so if he is, we'll definitely be talking about him next week. And from what I understand, I think he is. But don't quote me on that because that's just, that was an interpretation I made on an Instagram post. So yeah, we'll probably be talking about that quite a bit next week, which will be exciting because I guess now we got to start talking about the new era of U.S. figure skating. But with that... That's all I had for today. So I hope that you enjoyed today's show. Yeah, there's really not a lot more for me to say. Make sure to tune in here next week. And thank you so much for listening today. Bye.